Welcome to the Patrick Jones Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Jones, former hitting coach in the Baltimore Orioles organization and now helping players in the private sector. In today's episode, my guest is Patrick Murphy. He is the head softball coach at the University of Alabama. Coach Murphy has so many accolades. I'd, I'd be here all day announcing all of them, but we'll name we'll have we'll name just a few of them now. He's been the SEC Coach of the Year five times. His staff has been named NFCA South Regional Staff of the Year eleven times, including National Staff of the Year in 2012. He's in the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame, and in 2012, the Alabama Crimson Tide won the national championship. In today's episode, we talk about how to build a program. Coach Murphy's one of the best at building culture within the program. This past fall, I was down at the University of Alabama and and, and met Coach Murphy in person and, and toured the facility, which is incredible. And just everything he's doing down there is it's first class, it's professional. I've even been able to talk to some of the parents of some of the players, and they just speak nothing but but the best of of Coach Murphy as a as a person and as a coach. We also get into college recruiting, what he's looking for throughout the recruiting process and some of the things maybe you don't want to do if you want to get recruited. And then we also talk about developing players on and off the field. Again, this is where I think Coach Murphy is one of the best in the game at not just focusing on on on-field development, but off-field development too. So we're currently not running any ads on the show, and the reason is I want to—I really just want to help grow this show so we can reach more coaches. So if you enjoy the show and, and think someone you know would enjoy listening to it, please share it with them. All right, please text it to them. Please share it on social media. That's the only thing I ask right now because again, we're not running any ads at all. I hope you enjoy this episode with Patrick Murphy, the head softball coach at the University of Alabama. All right, we now welcome on Patrick Murphy, who is the head softball coach at Alabama. Coach Murphy, appreciate you coming on today. Patrick, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So I was at the I was at the NFCA. I know I think I told you that last week, and I ran into I just so happened I was just standing in line at Starbucks, and I just started to have a conversation with somebody, and it was one of your players, Montana, and it was her mom, Stephanie. And, you know, I, we started talking and we started talking about you because I said you're coming on the podcast this week. And I thought one of the, the really cool things that, that Stephanie, as a, as a parent, was saying was just how awesome the, the culture is there. And so I, I guess my first question to you right off the bat is there's a lot of coaches who are going to be listening to this. How do you go about starting to, to build a culture where you have parents and, and players out telling everybody how awesome it is to play at a program with a great culture. Well, I really appreciate that. You know, that's a great, great family. We are going to miss Miss Fouts when she graduates in May. She'll have two degrees and she's just going to do great things in life and, and beyond softball. She's just a great kid. But I think at the very beginning of my career, I was when I thought I, I really wanted to be a head coach and Actually, I thought it was going to be a college basketball coach. And I, I grew up in a small town in Northeast Iowa and 964 people. And from November to March, every Saturday, I would put a 89 cent frozen pizza in the microwave. <laughs> You're way too young to, it used to be 89 cents, Patrick, believe me. And you'd throw it in the microwave and it would come out and it would basically taste like cardboard, but I thought it was the best thing in the world. And I'd take it downstairs and it was colder than hell outside, but basketball was on TV. And 
NBC Sports. It was Dick Kenberg. I can remember UCLA and Notre Dame games just being incredible at three stations, ABC, CBS, and NBC. And I just thought, man, that would be fun to be a college basketball coach. And then as I went along, obviously it took a turn to softball, but you know, as a head coach, you're responsible for so many things and you wear a thousand hats, but also you can kind of set the course for how your program is going to be run in several different ways. So players, families, fans, alums, and the entire staff that helps you. And it is, it's one of the neatest things about, you know, being at a school for 27 years, that helps. But just having parents and kids buy into what you're trying to teach and of the person first, the athlete second, all the things that we talk about. And, you know, it's not for everybody. And it's a, it's a big decision, obviously, when they say yes. And for us, um, we're thinking 40 years down the road. We're not, we're not thinking just four years of college. It's, you know, when we have reunions, it's the coolest thing in the world to have, you know, 89 kids come back for a reunion. And two years ago, we had the national championship reunion that 19 of the 20 kids came back and just it, that part of it is awesome. And we talked before this, you know, I was at three weddings, this ball of former players. And those are the moments that really, really treasure as a head coach. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome stuff. I, I've, it seems like, you know, you said you mentioned you coached basketball or wanted to coach basketball, but I was also reading up on you and, and saw that you coached baseball too. And I, and I want to, I, I want to ask you this, cause I was reading online. I want to see if this is actually true. And did you coach, um, at Independence High School, their baseball team, and at the University of Louisiana Lafayette softball team at the same time? Yes, because Iowa High School baseball plays in the summer. Okay. It's the only state that still does it. So I would coach college softball till the end of May, and then I'd get in my Mazda MX-6 and race home to Iowa. And some years I'd miss the first couple of games because we would make the World Series. And then I'd go home because I was on a part-time contract in Louisiana. So I was get paid in the summer and the head coach, she said, you know, go home and get paid. So I would go home, coach high school baseball till around August 5th, and then get back in the car and go, go back to Louisiana and coach softball. And I think I did that for four summers, just the back and forth. And to this day, you know, some of those, those guys that I coach in baseball are some of my best friends and we're still, you know, in contact with, I'm in contact with all of them. We have a text thread and Anytime anything happens, you know, there's like 14 guys on this text thread. We go back and forth. So I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, I was a teacher education major, history ed at Northern Iowa. And I thought I would be a teacher and a coach and, you know, would have been extremely happy with it. And then when I graduated from Northern Iowa that summer, I got a, a GA position at Louisiana Lafayette for sports information. And that's kind of how it started towards the softball route. So you did that for four years and what make, makes me think, or my next question is, do you think that there's that a lot of young coaches are, are impatient in the sense that they want it, they want the job like right now, like they want to be the head coach at Alabama right now. And it's like, here you are for four straight years, getting paid nothing, going from Louisiana to Iowa and doing all these other things. And, and that was just the beginning of it. Do you see that in young coaches or like, what advice would you have to, to coaches who, who want to be like you someday? Well, that's, I do see that. And, you know, I started at six, I think I went to eight, I went to 12,000 and then 
the last salary was 16, but still part-time. And I mean, I thought $6,000 was a lot of money. I, I didn't even have a car. I, I didn't have a car. So, and I stayed in the athlete's dorm. So I was with the, with the football team, great guys, bunch of great people. And, you know, I mean, I learned a lot, but I really do think that sometimes you miss a step. Like I have a manager that was with me. He's now at Austin P state, Kayla Toshkoff. And he has, you know, he goes from a power five Alabama to mid-major. And I think it's the coolest thing in the world because he gets to see what it's like at all levels. And, you know, I have several other kids that are coaching division two or division three or Juco, a couple of head coaches in Juco. So, you know, it's, it's, you got to pay your dues and climb the ladder and you got to be patient because you're right. A lot of people want it right now. Yeah. And that, that ability to work through something is tough to find nowadays. Right. How do you, how do you go about trying to, to evaluate players? I, I feel like it's, it's easy on the talent side, the skill side, when you go and watch a player, but how do you make sure that, that they're the right fit for your program from a, from a person standpoint, just because it's a little different than baseball and scouting, right? I mean, scouting, you can go and make in-home visits to players and spend a lot of time with them and really make sure that they're like, they're, you know, what you want from a, a person. How do you do that and make sure that you're bringing in the people that you want at Alabama? Well, we try to do a lot of homework and the rule in softball is you cannot contact someone until her first of their junior year. So no contact, you can send them a questionnaire, but no email, no text, nothing. So September 1st, and usually at midnight, 12.01 or 12 a.m. is when we could first call a kid. And, you know, you're trying to get to know this kid, but it really kind of rushes the, the process, which I don't care for because I'm probably the slowest recruiter in the country because I, I want to know what I'm going to get. Mm. And it's getting harder and harder to realize that. But when, let's say you have a daughter and you and your wife come and you sit down in the clubhouse in Alabama and it's the three of you and then our coaching staff. And I usually have 20 to 25 questions that I ask that have nothing to do with playing or softball, the game. And everything has to do with what's inside her leadership, character, coachability, resiliency, grit, attitude, all those things to me mean a lot more because you're right. You and I could go walk across the street to a field and say, I bet you any money that both of us would decide who was the best athlete within five minutes and we, we'd probably be right. So that part of it is fairly simple. The other part is the hard part. And you know, one of my favorite questions that I ask is, Patrick, if you come to the University of Alabama and join our family, what type of intangible would you bring? Mm. And you know, I'll say, do you know what an intangible is? And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. So I'll explain it. And then I'll say exactly what I just said to you. We can see that you can run, throw, hit, field. That's easy. That's why you're here, right? But we want to know what's inside you when the, you know, what hits the fan, what are you going to bring to the table to the team? And it's also getting harder and harder to get a young person and their appearance for sure to realize she does not have to be on the field to help a team win a game. That's, you know, you don't have to be in the lineup to help us win because I'm going to have 20, 21, 22 players. 
So that means there's nine kids on the lineup card or 10, and then 10, 11, and 12 that aren't playing. So there's a lot of ways that you could help us win on the bench. And the more that they realize that, the easier a season goes. If it's, if it's difficult to get them to realize that, then the season goes the other way. But the intangible question is one of my favorites and you, you would absolutely be blown away with some of the answers and it, you know, if you're ever the boss of something, I know you have, you probably have your own company, but like, that's one of the first questions that I would ask if I were, were hiring anybody in any field, what type of intangible would you bring to our company if you were to join us? And so I absolutely love that one. And it gets you, you know, and I, I love to, we call it embrace the pause because a lot of times, you know, the parents are sitting on both sides of the kid and they're, they're answer than heck and that the mom and dad are sweating and they want to answer the question to the kid, but I don't want to hear from the parents because they're not going to play for me. The kid is. So there's a, there's this awkward silence, you know, in there and it's a good silence because the young lady's actually thinking about what she's going to say and everybody else is giving her the time to do that. And then usually when the first thing she says, it's just poetry. And there's some, there's been some answers where I literally get up and say, let's go. I'm in, that was a great answer. And I think you could do that here. So that's one of the main ones we asked. We obviously we asked about competitiveness, consistency, how coachable you are, the three C's, competitive, coachable, and consistency. So those three things are huge. I think to the success of division one athlete in any sport. That's good stuff. I, you saying that reminds me of when I was with the Orioles a couple of years ago, my manager was, was Dave Anderson, who in his, his famous part of his career, which he doesn't like is Kirk Gibson was the one who pinched it for him. Oh yeah. So that's it. Exactly. So, but anyway, so he's been around a really long time and, and we were talking about Derek Jeter one day. And so at the time I was like, oh, you know, his range was terrible. Like he should have, they should have ended his career like way earlier. He's like, dude, you don't understand. He's like, if anything, that guy was underpaid. He made so many players around him better when he was in the lineup versus when he even was just on the bench hurt. It like You can't even quantify it. And so it's kind of a little bit what, what you're talking with too is like, hey, even if you're not in the game or you're hurt or whatever, are you still making everybody else around you better? And I think he's a, I mean, he's just a, the perfect example of that. And I just hear that from so many different people. So you saying that kind of just resonated with that too. Absolutely. You know, one of my favorite articles of all time, and I'm, I'm assuming that you get a lot of baseball coaches that listen to this, but baseball, softball really doesn't matter any sport. It was in the player's journal, or I think that's right. Derek Jeter's internet and it's subscription free. So anybody can look it up, but he had David Ross write a article one year and it was called glue guys 101. And it's one of the best things I've read about intangibles and what you could bring to a team that has nothing to do with your playing ability. And Dieter asked David Ross, write an article about your favorite teammate. And David Ross says, oh God, I couldn't do that about one, but I could tell you about six or seven. And so the whole article is about all these guys that he played with and what they brought to the table. It's just, it was, I still use it to this day, print it out. I give everybody a copy of it in the classroom. And we go over it. We read it out loud. Like we're back in third grade, paragraph by paragraph. And some of the descriptions that he used of some of his teammates are just unreal. So you do not have to be in the lineup 
to help a team win. There are other ways. Well, we'll make sure to, to link to that. I, I want to check that. I haven't read that one at all. Would you mind sharing with, with everybody like what it's like inside of, of your program in terms of, I know you talked about before, like classroom, like what that's like. I think some coaches would be interested if you're, if you're okay with sharing that. Yeah. And we were glad to host you and your dad. Oh, it was awesome. I appreciate it. We had a ton of fun. Yeah. So when we uh, redid our clubhouse probably eight years ago, 10 years ago, I'd asked for a classroom setting. And it turned out perfect. So there's 24 chairs, there are desk chairs, projector, all that stuff, computer, three whiteboards on the walls. And almost every day before practice, before every game, after every game, anytime we have a speaker compliance person, I invite a lot of the other head coaches at Alabama to come speak to my team because I want a different perspective often. And they'll come and they'll do that in this classroom, but we use it all the time. And it's one of the best things that you know, we do actually, I've had several kids that graduate that will come back and say, Hey Merck, are you still, are you still showing those videos, telling stories in the, the classroom? Because that was one of the best things that, you know, I experienced when I was at Alabama and I said, you know, absolutely. And I really appreciate the feedback, but it could be five minutes one day. It could be 10 minutes, 15, and it's usually something about a life lesson or some days we watch video of another team or a picture and it's just a. It's a good environment for the team because obviously it's everybody on the team, managers included, the athletic trainer comes, the strength coaches there, all the coaches, and it sets the tone for the day. And I try to find either entertaining, funny, or tug at your heart strings sort of videos. And I've got a library of different things that we watch. And I try to remember what we watch so it doesn't repeat, you know, too often, but it is one of the best things that we, we have at Alabama, I think. Yeah, I think it's it's a really cool concept and it it kind of allow you know, I think a lot of times you put on the uniform, you're there for practice, you get into like softball mode or play mode. And so it allows you to be in a different environment. And so you're you're open to learning new things. And I think that I don't know, I think it's really cool. The first time I saw that was 10, 15 years ago was Vanderbilt baseball. And it, you two are really the only people I know of who who do something like that at setup. So I think it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, ten minutes is not gonna kill you. You know, right. I think way too often you go overboard with the practice, with, you know, with the actual bat ball, all that stuff. But sometimes 10 minutes, 15 minutes inside a classroom talking about that's something other than baseball or softball goes a long, long ways. And it, it is, it's, it's, it's just a fun part of practice too. When, when I was down there, I, it was, it was crazy because, you know, we were walking around and, and before you know it, there was all these players coming up and, and sticking their hand out and introducing themselves to me time and time again. And I kind of looked over at my dad at one point. I was like, this is crazy. I don't get, you know, adults don't even do this. Can you, can you share like what your philosophy is on, on the handshakes that you, you teach the players? Like, I think it's one of the coolest things because I just don't see that anywhere. Well, I, I went to a conference a long, long time ago called Capturing Kids Hearts. And it was in a small town in rural Texas, in the middle of the state. And one of the things that this conference believes is that if you capture a kid's heart first, you capture the whole person. So the heart first and then the mind comes after. And one of the ways to do that is touch. Really the, the main appropriate physical touch is a handshake. And so there's eight steps to a professional handshake that I teach the team every year, usually in the first week of the school year. So everybody knows there's no dead fish, you know, handshake. And, uh, you know, like, like obviously it meant a lot to you and 
it's like a four second job interview or a four second first impression. And you don't want to fail the first impression. Right. Oh, so, you know, and then the other thing that we say yeah. is be first in every encounter. And so like you and your dad, you were new in the clubhouse. As soon as you see somebody new in the clubhouse, you rely on you. You don't, Patrick doesn't come up to you and say, Hey, uh, Patrick, you know, he's the new guy. He doesn't know you. He's in your house. So if you go over to him first and stick your hand out, introduce yourself, say, welcome to Alabama, and then go from there. And that goes for anybody in a bullpen on the field. You know, if you don't know somebody, you don't turn to a teammate and say, hey, who's the guy with the glasses? <laughs> no, you go over and you say, hey, Patrick, I'm Patrick Merck, and introduce yourself and say, welcome to Alabama. So, you know, when you affirm that behavior, that helps me. Because now the girls realize that you really appreciated that. So when you, when you just said that, that's one of the first things I'm going to say at the team meeting coming back in January from Christmas break. And you are also part of, uh, we do something called pay attention to detail day. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I told you this, but on the last day of fall ball, we gather in the clubhouse and we have a answer sheet. There's 20 questions. And throughout the fall, we have a calendar, you know, every day or every month. And the kids get the calendar. And if somebody is either coming to visit or maybe a trip or something, it's on the calendar. And I write first and last name, you know, who's coming. And then pay attention to detail day. We pair them up into twos. And then I have all these questions. It's 20 questions that about whatever happened in the fall. And I'm a stickler with first and last names. So I said, what was the first and last name of the gentleman that visited us from Ohio? And it was the exact day. And then I threw in his dad was with him. So when I introduced you, I don't know if you've noticed that, but I said to everyone, this is Patrick. He's got a cool name. So I was giving them a little, you know, head start with that. So all they really had to remember was your last name. And fortunately, I think four of the pairs got it. So it wasn't a perfect 10 for 10, but it was, I think four for 10. That's all right. I, I, I tell you what that, but that's the stuff right there though, that the handshake in someone's first and last name, everyone's favorite word is their name. And so I think you're, you're setting them up for, for success, as you said earlier, for the next 40 years. So I think that's so cool. And I think it goes back to just, we were talking about earlier, just the, the, the culture that's there and how you're developing the person more than really the player. And I think if you develop the person, the player will probably, will, or is going to come out and reach their potential. But I just, I think it's awesome, man. I think everything that you're doing down there, it's, it's really cool. I, you know, it's, it helps that if the young lady of their parents can see the bigger picture because not, not a lot of people see the bigger picture. They just think about the four years and, you know, I, you played baseball, I played baseball, but we're not playing baseball now. Right. And you're an athlete for four years in college, but you're a person, a human being and women outlive men by like 12 years now. So <laughs> these ladies are going to live, you know, 65 more years as a person, not as an athlete. Mm -hmm. So we're doing them a disservice. I think we don't teach some of those things because they're going to be a person a lot longer than they're going to be an athlete. What's your philosophy on, on players? talking about playing time. I think that's something that a lot of coaches struggle with and they, some have open door policies, some are, or don't talk to me about it. Like what, what, what's the best way that you have found over your career? If, if a 
player, you know, they feels that they should be playing more. No, they can absolutely come and talk, you know, and usually it starts, you know, assistance, it goes up the chain a little bit. And, you know, usually it's, it's pretty simple actually when they come in and, and ask, but I've also changed my philosophy with the parents too. It used to be, don't ask about that, but now I want them to, because, you know, imagine yourself, you know, you have a daughter and you probably coached her or watched her since she was six years old, all the way up to 18 years old, right? You were around her forever. And then all of a sudden, boom, no communication. You don't know what's going on. You know, nothing about her, anything really. And I realized that that was probably not the right thing. And I heard the Tennessee women's basketball coach speak at a conference, Kelly Harper. She was awesome. And she was kind of like the same mindset as, as myself, but she changed too. And it was, she said it was for the better. And I really liked what she had to say about just open communication because, you know, it's, it's still their, it's their daughter, their life. And so now if anybody wants to talk, call me about anything, it's an open door. Anybody can ask about anything. And, you know, honesty is the best policy though for anybody. And you don't play mind games. You don't play favorites. You don't put anybody in the doghouse. And if you have to discipline somebody, if I have to say something to you, Patrick, on Monday, on Tuesday, you're, I'm supposed to be the adult, right? So I don't hold a grudge against you, but if you hold a grudge against me, that's up to you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to. And I think a lot of coaches don't do that. And just once I say my piece, I'm over and done with, and I probably forgot what the hell I said 10 minutes after I said it. So we challenge the young ladies. When you come back the next day, water under the bridge, let's go. And because Murphy's going to be the same person that he was Yesterday, the day before, whatever, he's not going to hold a grudge against you. Um, and we call it separating the who from the do. So Patrick is who, the person. The do is you threw an O2 pitch right down the gut and the kid hit it out. So your performance stunk, but I still love Patrick the person. Mm. So who versus do. It's always, you know, the person comes first. Still love you, the, the kid, person. Your action on the field is the thing that we did not like. Mm. Too many kids have it the other way around where their whole self-esteem, their whole, everything about them is tied up into their performance, not the person. And then that also, a lot of parents, which I'm sure you realize, that also is the case with them. So if, if daughter goes for before, they have a good time on the way home. If she goes over for Parents don't talk to her on the way home, which is not a good thing. Because she's saying, dad only loves me if I go four for four. That's what she's thinking, which probably is not the case at all. So it's a, it's kind of a tough road, but you know, once they get into our program and realize that I'm going to love them no matter what they do, then it's like, they don't have to worry about me. So if they look down at third base and the base is loaded one out, they see me, you can take, you can take me out of the equation. Doesn't matter whether you hit it or not. I'm going to be good with you. It's being more just that that process oriented instead of results driven and, and separating the the player from the person, which I think is is really really hard to do. Um, I know I I've struggled with that and, and getting players to buy into that too. But man, it's it, it's it's really really difficult. I don't know. 
I think one of the things that that I've I've noticed over the years is is the players who can just accept, just have acceptance and are able to move on always seem to to have more success. That's easier said than done, but I think just even just coming up with a couple different things that that you can control, whether it's each at bat or if you're on the mound in the field, and if you control those and you you were able to check those off, it's twelve o'clock. Then it's success, right? Then you had success. But if you're you know if you had to go two for four or three for four, then you're always you're 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 going off of numbers, which I don't. I think in I'm mean, more so of a hitting guy, but that's I've never seen that work out too well. You're on a roller coaster ride at that point, right? And you know the to me the 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 key to baseball and softball is the kids who can deal with failure the best. That's right. Three for seven, you're in the Hall of Fame. Or three for 10, you're in the Hall of Fame. You miss, you miss seven, but you hit three and you're in the Hall of Fame. So those, those that can talk themselves into doing things, thinking things, those are the successful ones. 100% agree with that. What's your, what's your take on, you know, this is becoming in, within the past years really blown up, but the, the transfer portal, do you, fe- do you feel at all, or did you worry at all that, Hey, once the kids get here, man, I gotta, I feel like I have to re-recruit them every year. So they, they stay. Cause I've heard some other coaches say that at different schools where, I mean, they don't know who's going to go, who's going to stay. Like, do you ever feel that? Or do you think that that's an issue going forward in the sport? Yeah, in every sport. You know, I don't know how many thousands are in the portal now for football. You know, I saw a stat a couple of weeks ago about last year. I think half the kids that went in the portal did not have a home after. Mm-hmm. You know, there was just way too many kids in there. 48% of Division One men's basketball transfer, almost half. So it is, it's getting more difficult, obviously. You know, one of the things, one of the questions I ask as well is, you know, would you rather wimp or play? And that's a, that's a question that every kid needs to really think about. Would you rather win or play? Obviously, if you want to play, you know, you want to be on the field regardless, because think about every division one, two, three, junior college, NAI, any division whatsoever, right? They're all going to do the same thing. You're probably going to get up at 6 a.m. and go lift weights. You're going to go eat breakfast, go to class, go eat lunch, go to practice for three hours go eat dinner, go to study hall, go back to bed and do it again. No matter what level, right? Those things are going to happen everywhere. So then you make a decision. I want to be on that field or do I want to compete for a spot and win at another school? So I think sometimes some kids can handle the role play part of it. Some kids cannot have to be on the field. And, you know, I, I was listening to ESPNU radio the other day with, it was the former quarterback of Florida State and a gentleman that played at Oklahoma and the Oklahoma, he was an offensive lineman, I believe. And he was saying, there's no such thing as a backup quarterback anymore in college football. Because if you're the number two, you lead because you want to play, you want to be the number one. And there's been so many times, even at Alabama, you know, we had Mac Jones, Tua and Jalen Hurts. They're all starting for an NFL team right now at Alabama at the same time. Wow, I didn't know that. That's crazy. One, wow. Yeah, one, two, three. Not a, you know, they were here at the same time, but somebody gets hurt. Next man up. And I think a lot of times when a person transfers, an opportunity comes up and he could have had it or she, 
but they had gone to another school already. So, you know, you got to figure out what you want in a school and, you know, be comfortable, be happy where you're at. And, you know, now that, you know, you can go anywhere at any time, it's here to stay. It's not going to change. I don't think it's going to change ever again. Um, because, you know, it used to be where, you know, my coach could go to another school immediately and be able to coach those kids, but I could, which isn't right. And they switched that. So now you can go anywhere, but hopefully, you know, people see the positives where they're at and stick it out. It's kind of reminds me a little of the, the Tom Brady effect. You know, I, I don't know if Tom Brady is Tom Brady, if, if he was a starter or if he was, if he left Michigan to go play somewhere else, I think that hunger and that drive was instilled in him when he was, he never really played at Michigan. And I remember watching something, some documentary or something about his, and his dad's like, Hey man, like, don't, don't you think she maybe transfer? He's like, no, I'm staying. I got, I'm, I'm staying. And it, it worked out. So I think just being a, when you're around players who are just as good as you or are better than you, or just people in general, I think you, you rate, like it, it, it makes you go to another level versus being around players who maybe have a little bit less talent than you. So I don't know. I, I, I definitely hear what, why people would leave, but I, I, I'm a big believer in making it work. I just think that if you, if you want it bad enough, I think you can, you can make it work, but I don't want to make any another, decision. Another really good example of quarterback is Kurt Warner at Northern Iowa. Oh, he went to Northern Iowa. Yes. Uh, he didn't play until his senior year. Seriously. Yep. Wow. Every year there was a quarterback that was a senior that was legit. And uh, he was a freshman when I was a senior at Northern Iowa. And yeah, he was the MVP, offensive MVP, senior year, did everything. But he only played one year and he's in the NFL Hall of Fame. Wow. I did not know that. I'm going to, I'm going to make a note of that. That's a great one. That's incredible. Tom Brady, a similar story. Yeah. That's uh, man. That's, that's interesting stuff. Coach, what, what's something that this is something I often think about myself and I have something that I am want to continue to get better at, but what's something that you want to get better at as a coach for yourself? I, I would, you know, when I try to do every summer and of course with COVID, it, it kind of slowed down. But before that, starting around January, I would Google servant leadership, resiliency, Gen Z something. And I would go to a conference in the summer didn't matter where to learn about those things. And I was doing that. I, I think I went eight years in a row and none of them had to do with softball, bat ball, nothing. And I met some of the greatest people. You know, I went to Angela Duckworth who wrote the, the book Grit, mm -hmm. a professor at Wharton at Penn. She held a conference one summer in Philly and it just so happened that the Phillies were in town as well as, <laughs> so guess what I did? Yeah. Went to the conference during the day and then I went to watch the Phillies at night and I knew the hitting coach at the time. So he treated me really well and took me into the dugout and got to watch batting practice on the field. And it was just a great three days in Philly, but I, I continue to look for things like that. It's going to help give value to the girls upon graduation. And I think that's really important for us to learn different ways to help them become better people. So when they graduate, they can sell themselves to any company and uh, be a success, whatever major, whatever thing that they decide to do. So I still look for uh, things like that in the off season. That's so cool. I, I hope all the coaches listening to this, like rewind and play that right there where it's like, man, just, you know, you clearly coach have a, a growth mindset and are, are looking to, to help the players, not just on the field, but when they get done playing too, which I think is, 
is so cool. I got one last one last question for you. What are your thoughts on on communication as a coach from just via via text, email, speaking? And the reason why I I bring this up is there's only two people that I know who are who have very high level, I would say, positions who are the best at communicating. And, and I and I constantly think about them. And and one is actually you. And another one is a guy named Matt Blood. He's the he's a farm director for the Orioles. And the reason why I say that is, is there's a lot of times I'll get messages or emails or things like that, or t- and I'll I'll put them off till later. You and Matt Blood, if I email you or if I text Matt Blood, I get an answer within it's it feels like five minutes. <laughs> and so there's times where I'm like, man, the head coach at Alabama or the farm director at the Orioles, who d- they don't need anything from me, anything, right? They don't need me at all, but yet they can get back with me within ten minutes. So I need to make sure that I I get back with so and so within that you know a, a consistent time frame too. So I just want to say, first of all, you've impacted me just by doing that, and I constantly remind myself of of that. I hope you're not going to hate me for saying that. So everyone's going to start emailing you and expecting responses back right away. But is that something that you make a conscious effort of? Is that something that you know it's just who you are? Like how can how can coaches improve their communication across the board? Well, thank you for that. I'd like to meet Mr. Blood. Yeah. Need to meet him. Yeah. I just think it's respect, first of all. And then obviously, you know, we get a lot of texts, emails, whatever. And I have this thing about, I do not want to have like a huge amount in my inbox at the end of any day. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things I do is I have an agenda of what to do each day. I go lift weights. I come to the office. And then probably the first 30 minutes when nobody is around me, I'd start the emails. Mm-hmm. And then the next hour and a half, I plan a practice, but that's also at the same time. And I probably should turn it off, but it's not. But the, you know, when it dings and it says you got an email, I probably look too often. And I still do not want to have a ton of inbox emails at the end of the day. So I do not have an Apple watch. I feel <laughs> like I would be way, way, you know, like a lot of people have suggested it to me. I do not want that. The phone is enough. The computer is enough. But I think it's just a sign of respect to, you know, when somebody emails you, just respond. And, you know, it doesn't have to be 14 paragraphs. Right. Just, you know, hey, thanks for the email. Appreciate it. And then whatever they ask for, try to get it right away. Yeah. But I, I think, think yeah. No, no, I, I just, I think it's, it's, it's rare. I think that's why it stands out to me. I think people do it, but, you know, I just, it's just something I picked up on. So I just wanted to, just want to say that, but I appreciate your time. I know you're you're very busy and especially getting ready to to ramp up once the kids get back to school. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast. A big fan. I'm going to definitely try and make it down to uh, some games this year. And man, always always going to be pulling for Alabama softball. I appreciate that. And you, you do need to come down because it's, it's an experience. And I hope all your listeners too, if you're ever near Tuscaloosa and then there's a home game, come over to the Rhodes house because it's a great, great experience. It's, it's like impossible to get tickets though, right? I mean, well, you can call me now. <laughs> I'll, I'll get you a couple. Okay. Thanks, coach. I appreciate it. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media, text it to a friend, email it to another coach. This podcast is going to grow by word of mouth faster than any other way. And I need your help in order to make that happen. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody.
Thank you for listening, and we'll be back with another brand new episode next week. 